More than one in three people will face cancer in their lifetime. Unfortunately, fear can stop you from getting your cancer screening, but it won't stop cancer. Early detection can save your life. Don't wait for symptoms to appear to act. Cancer screening is safe, effective, and accessible for everyone, including free or low-cost screening programs. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com right now for free screening resources and recommendations from the American Cancer Society. Don't wait. Early detection can save your life. Go to cancerscreeninfo.com today. Cancerscreeninfo.com. You've dreamed of building a family, but the journey hasn't been easy. I'm Dr. Laura Shaheen, a reproductive endocrinologist helping people build families every day. On our new podcast, Baby or Bust, we'll be learning from both reproductive experts and people who have faced challenges just like yours. Join us every week for Baby or Bust, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow us so you never miss an episode. Today on the Zabecast, Super Week 2019 is upon us, and the Patriots are going for an insane sixth ring between Brady and Belichick. How much has changed since the start of the dynasty back in New Orleans? A ton. Andy Poland joins me. We'll talk Radio Row and the latest Alex Smith news, plus the Doomsday Preppers Dream Home. Bonus Zabe is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Here we go. Tuesday, January 29, 2018. Thank you for downloading. If all went well, I am still asleep right now, as you listen to this, in my hotel room in Atlanta. I made last-minute flight changes to avoid what could have been, might be, might still be, winter weather breezing through Atlanta in the middle of Tuesday. I said I want no part of sitting at Dulles at 9.30 a.m. on Tuesday, watching a big board of flights go... Blink, canceled, blink, canceled, blink, 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 blink. Uh, just stand in that line over there, sir, and you can uh, get on another flight later in the day. No, thank you. So, with that said, let's get to it today. The Pro Bowl was this weekend. Who watched the Pro Bowl? The NFC pretty much was getting shut out all game long. And the joke was because the old smiling clapper... Jason Garrett was the head coach that only Jason Garrett could shut down an offense in a pickup game in which no defense whatsoever is played, i.e. the Pro Bowl. It was awful non-football, half-trying, patty-cake this, sort of cover that, screw-around, grab-assery. In fact, if this game was played in front of my high school gym teacher, Sonny Chisholm, may he rest in peace, boys basketball coach at Langley High School back in the day, he would have said, quit your grab ass and get in line. That's what he would have said about this game. Here was the play that encapsulated the entire afternoon in the rain, of course, narrated by the guy that some say is perfectly suited to a cheesy, ersatz, non-football game, Joe Tessitore! Under seven minutes to play. The rain continues to pour down. And it is intercepted! How about it, Mike Evans, who gets up and laterals to bar, and now it has become schoolyard football, Saquon Barkley with the ball. 
on defense, mind you, as he spins free from Miller, tries to cross field, gets away from Pouncey, and what do we have here? Razzle-dazzle, it continues on. Welcome to the Pro Bowl 2019. So that that was one of the plays in which, yes, uh, Mike Evans was playing defensive back. I'll talk to Andy more about this uh, later on in the podcast. I, at this point, you have to do something else. Like, this is a complete travesty. I know the players get paid, but it's not that much money. I know they like to take their family to Orlando. The thing about Hawaii was, it was always Hawaii. You were never going to not get Hawaii. And so that was kind of a big thing. Oh, you get a trip to Hawaii with your family. Who's going to turn that down for the Pro Bowl? And the games, if you watch old Pro Bowl clips, looked like football games. I mean, they weren't super high-intensity, high-tempo, rough-and-tumble games, but they were football games. What the Pro Bowl is now is not even a football game. And then there was Jason Witten. Man, oh, man, this guy, he's got the rain cloud just following him, or he's just not very smart. First of all, he broke the Pro Bowl trophy, trying to pick it up by the actual uh what do you call it, the, the the ornament on top, whatever it was. Maybe not his fault. Like, why can't you pick it up by that? Well, because the base is really heavy. Broke the Pro Bowl trophy when he was handing it out. And then, earlier in the game, said something so stupid, you had to hear it to believe it. I don't have it handy, but you can look it up on the internet. Nice work. Shut up, I got you something. He said when Mahomes threw a touchdown to the Colts tight end Eric Ebron, that's been his guy all year long. Uh, what? What the hell did you just say? He's wearing a white helmet with a blue horseshoe on it. Mahomes is wearing a red helmet with a spearhead on it. They're not a, what, what are you talking about? Witten's so dumb, so dense, maybe so C-T-E addled. He just thinks, well, there's a pass to a tight end. Okay, that activate cliche. That's been his guy all year long. What on earth was that? A fitting, soggy, awful end to the Monday Night Football crew for 2018-19. So I was watching the replay of NFL Films, sort of the NFL Films recap of the Super Bowl where it all started. Patriots over Rams, 2002, in the wake of 9-11. Don't ask me what number it was, X, X, X something. 17 years ago in New Orleans. And I'm watching the NFL Films recap, and I was just struck time and time again at all the things that are different about football back then, which is not necessarily remarkable. Hey, El Baldo, things change. It's been 17 years. I like noticing the things that are so different. First of all, the highlights were in standard definition, cropped in a three by four, four by three format, and then, you know, letterboxed on the sides. Boo. Secondly, it was jarring to see that slick, flat, no fake grass looking surface that they used to have at the Superdome. That, by the way, when they used to play indoors on hard, quick turf back in the day, (laughs) I don't even know what the groundskeeper was there for because there was really not much to do. Maybe vacuum up a a, a coffee spill or something. Gronk was 12 years old when that game was played. I noticed that the balls 
looked like they were brand new out of the box. Nowadays, NFL footballs are are really worked in pretty good. They they scrub off this sort of a dye that the Wilson factory puts on them. I've done this myself. And if you do it, just be ready to have your hands be blood red for several days. But you're supposed to take an NFL football, wash off all the wax and the coating and this reddish dye that goes on the outside of the football. And you do that, and then they sell. I I bought from Wilson the prep kit. Nerd! That includes a conditioner, a little spritz bottle. Actually, no, it's a squeeze bottle of conditioner, and then you rub it in. It's got a brush where you're supposed to scuff up just a little bit, brush up the outside of the football. There is a spray. Don't you like my effects, by the way? That's a tack spray, so it's a little tackier. And then there is a bar that looks like a bar of soap that is a tack bar that you then rub the football with. By the time an NFL equipment guy has prepped up a football properly, it looks like it looks brown. It looks dark brown. It looks like it's been left out in the rain. That's how dark it looks. And it's got a definite different feel to it. I'm convinced back in 2002, that Super Bowl, they took balls right out of the box and they go, here, go play with them. Also, uh, the shoulder pads were huge. Kurt Warner's shoulder pads, you could have landed helicopters on either shoulder pad. And Pat Summerall was calling the game along with John Madden. And the most jarring thing was at the end of the game, towards the end of the game, when the Rams had finally rallied to tie the game. And I'm not saying the Patriots were lucky, but they had some things go their way. Number one, Kurt Warner hurt his hand in that game early on and, and was having a hard time gripping the football with his throwing hand. Finally got it together and you know they were able to get going late. Secondly, Mike Martz, the new head coach after Dick Vermeil retired the previous year, was just such a maniac throwing the ball and doing the greatest show on turf shit that he didn't give the ball nearly enough to Marshall Falk, who was just an unstoppable back in the day. Great pass catching back, yes, but also great running it. Didn't get nearly enough touches in a tight game. And then on top of both of those things, the Rams end up surging to finally tie the game late. And there's a minute and 21 left in the game. And the Patriots get the ball back at their own 17. And on television, I definitely remember it when he said it, and I heard it again, John Madden said that the Patriots should just play for overtime. Are you kidding me? What? Why? They came into the game as a 14-point underdog. A minute 21, the game is tied. You just need a field goal indoors. You're going to play for a tie? Not only did John Madden say that, but as I'm watching the NFL Films recap, they dub in the radio call. And I think it was the radio call of the Patriots. I'm not sure. But one of the two radio calls, it might have been a national radio call, someone suggested, oh yeah, they should definitely just play for the tie right now. It was so jarring because you know in today's day and age in which strategy and tactics and aggressiveness has e- have evolved tremendously, that would be unthinkable. A minute and 21 seconds to go, all you have to do is get to about the 35-yard line to have a shot. The game winner, by the way, by Vinatieri was 48, I want to say and it cleared easily, was probably good from 55. But 
That was just the thinking back then, and nobody really disputed it. And that overtime back then was true sudden death. Coin flip, blink. Okay, you get the ball, field goal wins, good luck. Play for overtime. The other thing, and I had to rewind the NFL Films recap of this, that blew my mind, is that neither team had any timeouts left. Wow, what terrible timeout management back in 2002. To think that that would happen today, I I just I can't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it will happen. Think if the Patriots had employed modern tactical thinking, which is second-half timeouts are gold. They are used for 40 extra seconds of gameplay when needed and nothing else, not to avoid five-yard delay of games, not to talk about what are we going to run on fourth down. They're used for 40 extra seconds when you need that 40 extra seconds more than air itself. If the Patriots had had, or excuse me, if the Rams had had all, all three timeouts, then when the minute 21 to go and the Patriots backed up at their own 17, guess what? Mm. This is kind of a snug snug suit I'm wearing. I feel kind of tight right now because we know they have three timeouts. We're going to run play number one, timeout, play number two, timeout, play number three, timeout. If we're conservative and run the ball every time, that's six seconds, five seconds, eight seconds, maybe. Uh, let's see, they still got a minute left. Oh, shit. Then you say, well, we got to throw on one of those downs. Well, throwing's dangerous. As one football coach once said, when you go back to pass, only one good thing can happen, three bad things can happen. Would have been interesting. Neither team, any timeouts left. With a minute 21 to go, and both on TV and on radio, people were suggesting, hey, you know what? I just play for overtime. You did good, Patriots. You weren't supposed to be in this game. It's tied. Let's go to overtime. Let's let a coin flip decide your fate. Luckily, Bel- luckily if you're a Pats fan, Belichick and... Brady had other intentions. Next thing you know, we are on their ninth visit since that date in 2002. More on that Super Bowl with Andy when he comes up in just a minute. A couple non-sports items for you. Dateline Chicago, give me your coat or your life. Chicago police are reporting gunpoint robberies targeting people wearing pricey Canada Canada Goose jackets. Canada Goose? Shouldn't it be Canadian Goose? Either way, these jackets retail from $500 to $1,200, and they carry a recognizable patch on the coat's left arm that says Canada Goose Arctic Program. The jackets have been seen on a number of celebrities, including rapper Drake and model Kate Upton. Over the past two weeks, police say there's been a spate of thefts in which people wearing them have been targeted, forced to give them up, and left out in the cold to just survive as best they can. Police say two men jumped from a Mercedes, showed a gun, and purchased and punched a 54-year-old man before forcibly taking his coat and wallet. Wow. Of course, it brings up the greatest coat-related soundbite in pop culture history. Costanza. Gore-Tex. Hey, is it cold out? Really cold. Scary cold? I don't know. What's your definition of scary cold? (laughs) That. What is that? (laughs) What? When did you get that? This week. My father got a deal from a friend of his. It's Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex? You know about Gore-Tex? 
You like saying Gore-Tex, don't you? <laughs> hey, you can't even turn around with that thing. Hey, look at this. Oh God, it's classic. Uh, so yeah, don't wear don't wear coats that have a patch on the side that are celebrity worn that everybody knows cost fifteen hundred dollars. Wear something a bit more humble and layer up if you're going to be walking the mean streets of Chicago. And then one more before I get to Andy, Dateline Nature: World's loneliest duck dies alone on Tiley. Tiny island next to puddle. Aww. World's loneliest duck on a tiny island. The duck was named Trevor. It lived on a tiny Pacific Island uh, nation known as Niu. And it's now died, officials say, sparking an outpouring of grief from as far away as New Zealand. The celebrity Mallard found fame last year after visiting journalists from New Zealand discovered that his makeshift home near a puddle was used for directions on the tiny island. They believe that the mallard duck had been blown in by a storm because the island itself is basically all coral. It does not have natural ponds or wetlands. So young Trevor had to fend for himself on this island where he had blown in from a big storm. Apparently his 15 seconds of fame were cut short when he was seen dead in the bushes after being attacked by dogs. Aww. He became famous because when New Zealand's Herald, when the New Zealand Herald's deputy political editor Claire Trevitt visited the island nation to look around, she found she had been incorporated into street directions. When they said, "Just turn right past the duck, and then you'll know <laughs> where you're going." Yeah, how do you get to the town hall on this island? Oh yeah, just go down here this pathway, and then take a right at the duck. Well, the duck ain't no more. The dogs got the duck. Rest in peace, Trevor, the world's loneliest duck next to a sad puddle on a tiny, tiny island. Let's talk to Andy Pollan and see what he's up to today. Good, good. How's everything? Everything is wonderful. Thank you. Good, good. Let me get Andy. Okay, cool. David! Although, hey. uh, <laughs> I, I was going to do a segment with your wife first. Is that all right? You want her back? Yeah, let me get her take on the Terps. Put her on the phone real quick. All right, hold on. Okay. Arlene, pick up again. Zay, what's your take on the Terps? Arlene Arlene Pullen, everybody. Huge Terps fan. Arlene, how are the Terps doing in your mind? Well, I think they were doing okay. I wasn't... I wasn't extremely excited. I was I was okay, hoping that they would uh, improve because the meat of their schedule was coming up. They were going to play Michigan State and Michigan and mm-hmm. and uh, Purdue again. But uh, that loss on Saturday, I mean, uh, there's, the only way I can describe it is embarrassing. Just <laughs> completely and totally embarrassing. You cannot lose. You can't lose to uh, Illinois. <laughs> you and can't it- lose. And it was, I mean, it was a stupid game you farmed out to New York City as well. You know, that to me bothers me. Well, the point is, I, I actually went to the University of Maryland, and there are a huge number of kids from New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, and I get it, but uh, <laughs> the alum that wasted their money to go see that game and the students who were thinking, yeah, you know what, I'm thinking about going to Maryland. Let's see how they play. 
I mean, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what they, they must have been like, you know what? I think I'm going to rethink this. Yeah. Maybe I'll go to Rutgers. Maybe I'll go to Penn State. Rutgers. Maybe I'll go to UConn. I mean, that was ridiculous. All right. Arlene, good to talk to you, dear. Thank you. Okay. Bye. There you go. There you go. That's uh, that's Arlene Poland, everybody. Andy Poland yep. now joins us on the Zabecast. So was was Arlene cussing at the TV on Saturday? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, she was at the mall uh, with Samantha. And so I came home from work, and I saw the second half, and I thought, this isn't good. And she came home shortly after the game was over and said, thank God I missed that. <laughs> well, there you go. Speaking of thank God I missed that, are you going to say that about a week on card tables at Radio Row in Atlanta? Yeah, you know, part of me wants to be there. I haven't been there in a few years, but once you're there for about three days and you see the blue curtain for the 900,000th time, oh, you say, what am I doing here again? Are you going? Yes. In fact, as people listen to this, I will hopefully be already snuggled into my bed at the uh, hotel near the airport because I changed my flight to get out early because there is weather coming through Atlanta tomorrow morning, right when, or today, Tuesday morning, when I was supposed right. to land. And I don't want to deal with any of that. You know how when they cancel flights through Atlanta, they just wipe out a whole board of flights and go, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good thing uh, they got the shutdown taken care of. would have been worse Yeah, the air traffic controllers out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what do you think is different after all these years of so-called Radio Row at the Super Bowl? Better, worse? And do you feel like, like I feel like, that the, the whole steam of it, the, the balloon is really starting to lose air quickly? Yeah, I was at the first one, really, which was at the uh, Media Hotel in 1988 when the Redskins played the Broncos. I was working for WFAN. And Radio Row then consisted of WFAN and WNBC, where Dave Sims was doing a show. Not that long after, the two combined, and, uh, you know, that was kind of the end of Dave Sims there, and, and, and you know, the rest is history. Um, in the early 90s, I remember going, and it wasn't like it is now in that somebody like Jerry Jones would walk into the area where Radio Row was, really? and it would be like a school of piranhas to try and grab them over to your table. It wasn't organized. Somewhere along the line in the 90s, everybody got hooked up with a product or a sponsor. And so it's a, it's a thing now where you have guys who have X number of athletes signed to X number of products, and you have to make, like, deals. So if you want a high-roller guy or a big-name guy, you have to take one of their lesser lights, you know, on your show. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and right, because there's – yeah, it, it, a whole it, different thing, and and the, and the shameless whoring for these products, I think turn, oh, yeah. I think it turns off listeners more than we ever appreciate. Yeah, I, I, you know the only reason it keeps going is apparently sponsors are buying it, and radio stations say, "Oh, we got to send our people because they're sponsoring us on Radio Row." But I've told program directors in the past, just send a producer there and have them bring people over to the table, and we'll interview them from the studio. Yeah, but a nice, a nice little setup with a mic and a Skype window that shows the talent back home so you can at least see them. That's all yeah. you need right there. But, shh, yeah. Andy, I've got a week of dinners reimbursed and uh, hotel lounging about. 
<laughs> Don't take that away from me. I'm actually going to the game on Sunday. Oh, you are? Second straight year, and it's it's not as good as watching it at home. There's no question about no. it. But because no. I was able to use the station pass, I sort of took that carpe diem attitude of, you know what? This could be the last time, so I might as well take advantage of it. Yeah, the, the last one I went to was the one in Houston in 2003. It was the Patriots in Carolina, and that was the wardrobe malfunction, which I missed because I had to get over to the ESPN tent where I was going to do the postgame show with Mark May. So I left at halftime, and then I got – this was before you could check on your phone what people were tweeting or what people were saying about it. But word somehow filtered down to us that there had been this wardrobe malfunction that uh, what had happened. And we hadn't seen it, but we were talking about it on the air. And, uh, and I have not been back inside a Super Bowl since. I've been to Super Bowls weeks, but not the actual game since then. Yeah. Now, I was at the 94 Super Bowl in Miami. And this is how Mm -hmm. prehistoric the technology was back then. It's one-on-one sports out of Chicago. We had cell phones, but they were like the giant Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street cell phones. (laughs) Yes, yes. That looked like (laughs) Army-issued radios to call in airstrikes, okay? I swear to God, the batteries lasted maybe 20 minutes. But we Mm -hmm. had them. So we, we go around trying to put these cell phones in the hands of whoever we can. And the access was a lot greater back then. So we had more success at it as young producers and uh, update hosts and whatever. Mm -hmm. One night, though, my 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 produce senior producer Mark Jenskow for One on One Sports Radio and I go out to a restaurant where he has heard Jimmy Johnson likes to go, and he finds out as we get there, there's Jimmy Johnson. He goes up to Jimmy Johnson at this restaurant in Miami where he's uh, having dinner with uh, his buddy uh, Dave Wanstad. And he mm-hmm. somehow schmoozes Jimmy Johnson when he's done with his main course to step out into the lobby to get on a payphone to do an interview <laughs> with Ted Green, who used to be yeah. the host at One on One Sports. I was flabbergasted. I said, that is the greatest guest booking I've ever known. And that's the kind of yeah. hustle we had back then. Nowadays, <laughs> there's none of that. It's all layered. Yeah. It's all controlled. It's all contrived. Yeah, but you you can you know if, if example like that you could now slap a cell phone in Jimmy Johnson's hand and say you know sure. uh, you're on right now with Ted Green go ahead <laughs> yeah. and and Ted Green was such an asshole and had no appreciate was he oh I have stories Andy that you oh, wouldn't believe I, I here's how I know him I know him from being a regular with Roy Firestone. In the mid '80s, remember yeah. the Roy Firestone show on ESPN? Because yeah. he covered the this Lakers, when... he covered the Lakers yeah. for the LA Times, but he was fired for that because he was filing game stories from his house. <laughs> when he came to Chicago to do this radio show, and he was like the big talent they had, you know, secured in 1994, he acted like you know the world revolved around him, an ego beyond measure. And because he covered basketball, we went to the local YMCA once to play a game mm-hmm. of pickup. And Ted was throwing these impossibly hard screens, elbows, calling foul. He was yelling out <laughs> plays like NBA plays. Two down, two down, rotate. I back Backside screen. Being a complete <laughs> douchebag. And we were all just like, who is this guy? Well, but anyway, I, it was, I had a sip. 
Yeah. Uh, a similar thing with Skip Bayless in a pickup game in Dallas many years ago where uh, I was on a team with Tim Kirchin who was roasting his butt. And he couldn't have been a bigger jerk about it. Oh, my God. You know, hold on. You know, I was the one who was taking the ball on the check, and I was basically passing to Kirkchen so he could blow by him. Hold on on that check. Hold up. Wait a second. I'm not ready. (laughs) You know, nowadays, all the so-called big media stars, of which Skip Bayless is one, of which Rich Eisen is one, and Dan Patrick is one, they all have these incredible television setups where they yep. port their radio show. Their, their radio shows are TV shows that get distributed via radio, and it's an interesting mm-hmm. setup. But they all have their own studios in hotels, at the Turner headquarters. Like, they're not amongst us rabble anymore. No, no. We, that, that's, that's the big thing, and that's one of the things that they've talked about with Francesa who seems to be, you know, stumbling in the outfield like Willie Mays these days. Oh, it's and, bad. And uh, there, there was something in the Daily News about him having to be on the radio row with the unwashed masses. And that's, you know, that's something he's been able to avoid in the past. Is he really going to be down there? That's what I understand. That's, oh that's what I saw in the New York papers. Yeah. Oh, my God. I did see him do – I saw for a while there a lot of radio shows had elaborate web streaming video setups where there was literally three or four extra guys and all this equipment and lighting meant just to stream web video back home. And I thought, how is this worth the money? Who's sponsoring this shit? I don't think many people do. I don't think many people do that anymore. Yeah, well, there, there was that guy, Nestor Aparicio, the, the cockroach of life, who used to uh, just take pictures with everybody. That was his whole thing. I mean, I don't know what, what value remember, that was. Remember when Nestor got into a fight with that guy? I, I think he yeah. was in uh, Tampa. Dallas. Year. I think it was a Dallas, Dallas? radio guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, right, but it was. I think he was in Tampa. Uh, again, all these ballrooms and convention centers blend together. Because you spend do. a week in these places, and you go to the same media lounge where they've got stale chips and warm oh, yeah. Pepsi, and you're just like, God, I hate being here. But now I'm how complaining. About, how about this? Yeah. How, how about the early, the first couple of days where all you get are ex-athletes parading around saying the NFL should pay for their injuries and their pain that they're suffering now oh, yeah. in their 40s? Yeah, yeah there's uh, that patrol. Uh, Ditko, uh, yeah. Ditko was one. Uh, who yeah. else? Fred Smurlis well, was one. Lucas, who was Ray Lucas, who, who just would not go away. Ray Lucas, every year, every day. We need. We, we don't care that we got hurt playing. We just want the NFL to pay for us. I'll see you, Ray and, Lucas, uh, and I'll raise you a Sean Landetta. Yeah, well, I like Sean. I, I know I, you, you know, do. You know, I like I have a soft spot for Shaw. How about the Bills? But, how about the Bills assistant coach who ran his mouth before the Redskins oh, Chuck Super Dickerson. Bowl? Yeah, Chuck Dickerson. How about yeah, Gil? How about Gil Brandt? You want to see Gil Brandt <laughs> shuffling around? Longtime well, former Cowboys Gil, executive. Gil Brandt. He, he works for somebody. He's either XM or, or one of the outlets. He's he's actually there working, but he's also a guest and. To be fair, I mean, he is sort of the godfather of modern selection of players. I mean, okay, teams fine. used to show up at the draft with a Street and Smith, for right. God's sakes. But, but he's so. there every year. And then there's always yeah. that awkward exchange of, so uh, so what are you doing now? I think, yeah. I think my answer is going to be starving. That's what the fuck I'm doing right now. <laughs> this business is the worst. And, and what used to be great about Radio Row is that they would have all the newspapers, major newspapers from out of town, shipped in. 
And you could oh, yeah. go down the line like a buffet and go, ooh, Chicago Tribune, ooh, L.A. Times, ooh, Boston Globe. And it was this great treat in the pre-digital age. Nowadays, nah. You, why bother? Yeah. It's all at your fingertips. Yeah. And, of course, you and I were at the one in New Orleans where this Patriot dynasty began. And it was the Super Bowl that pro- pro- produced the lowest get-in price in modern history because of the post-9-11 security fears. Darren Ravel made his mark as a young reporter by tracking this story in New Orleans. Yeah, remember? No, I remember this well, and, and they did say, and I did go to that game, they said, get there early because there's going to be extra security. Uh, the game started at 6, so I probably got to the Dome by noon. There was a ring of tanks around the Dome. And your tanks. point about tickets, you, you couldn't get in unless you had a credential just to get in the ring. Then once you got in, they patted you down. They checked your credential. They ran through security. I mean, it was because we didn't know. I mean, that was that was the first real big national okay. gathering and where the focus of the country was going to be after 9-11. Right. And everybody was saying, well, you know, it's, it's possible they could attack then. And, uh, yeah, I remember that very, very well. I also remember this. Uh, that was the return of Vinny because – Remember the year before, Marty had kicked him out, and I was working with ESPN Radio, so I hung around with Vinny quite a bit that week, and that's when he got his offer from Snyder to return faxed to him, and he was showing everybody it. He was? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did yeah, you see it? Was, it was, I saw it was, it was 400000 for the first year, four fifty for the second year. Vinny Serrato showed you a document saying you can come back and fuck the team up some more. Well, it didn't exactly wasn't didn't worded say that, that way, right? But, yeah. but he showed you he he showed you and others the document. Oh yeah, here's, here's an offer. Look at me, I can go back. <laughs> Look, I'm back. <laughs> old Marty's gone. I'm back. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, what an idiot! And of course, that was the Super Bowl in which Andy and I, having just loaded up on some, <laughs> Andy and I having just loaded up on some gumbo, decided to take in the evening air on Bourbon Street on a random Tuesday. And we start walking towards the end of Bourbon Street, popping in here and there. And we find a bar that's open on both corners of the street. And we walk in and we sit down on a bar stool and we look up at the TV and it's got Will and Grace. And we're like, well, that's interesting. We turn to our left. We're like, I'm sure there's a ball game on here. No, that one's Will and Grace. And then we turn to our right and there's another one on Will and Grace. And then we look around and we realize it's all dudes in the bar. And we said to ourselves... I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, Toto. Why don't we leave? Nothing yeah, against not that homosexuals. Wrong with that. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong. We just realized we're probably interrupting their will and grace party on a Tuesday night. Classic. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, this Alex Smith report from Ian Rappaport that he will miss all of 2019. What do you make of it? There's a lot of different responses. One could be simply, well, duh. I saw the yeah. erector set on his leg as well. The other could be this is a strategic leak by the team to reset expectations downward for next year. What do you think? Could be. Or how about this? And I don't think this is the way it happened, but if you were going to script it, it wouldn't be a bad way to go. Alex Smith, knowing that the senior bowl was coming up, knowing that Bruce Allen was going to talk, knowing that Bruce Allen didn't always tell the truth, might have just arranged to make himself available to the media to take pictures of that contraption just in case Bruce went down there and said, oh, no, everything's fine. We expect Alex Smith to be ready for the start of minicamp, and we'll be all good. 
Oh, you think there was wow, some? Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, a preemptive strike against a known liar. Yeah, yeah. That that he he was shrewd enough to say to himself, okay, just so Bruce doesn't try and pull the wool over everybody's eyes, let me show you what's on my leg right now at the age of thirty-five and thinking yeah. maybe I can come back and play. The the other part of this issue is that everybody's now saying, of course, oh, you got to draft Kyler Murray, you got to draft Kyler Murray. Well, if you're going to draft Kyler Murray, then you're not going to have Alex Smith in twenty twenty. You you can't you can't develop this kid in a year. And then in his second year, when you hope he's ready to go, say, oh, yeah, now you're going to have to sit on the bench because the $20 million a year quarterback is back. Um, how, much, so how, much, it, how much money would Alex Smith make in 2020, do you know? $27 million? I think he's due – I think over the next two years, he's due a total of $55 million, okay. however that breaks down. And how old will Alex Smith be in 2020? 36. How many 36-year-old quarterbacks coming off a broken leg that caused him to miss an entire season come back and pick up where they left off statistically? Have you ever heard of? In your life, Andy Pollan. Well, I mean, Joe Theismann wanted to, but he couldn't because his leg grew back crooked. So I don't think there's anybody that I can think of at the moment. So do you think this is going to get ugly between Smith and the Redskins over his money? Because Bruce Allen has been known to viciously claw back money from guys that owe bonus money. I don't know how he's going to do it. Do you? Well, let Dirty Trick Segretti get going on this and figure out a way. Well, Smoke him out, you, you wait could. him out, freeze him out, pressure him out. I don't know. Make him say, are you working out to come back next year? Are you working out to come back next year? I don't know how it would happen. I just wouldn't put anything past Bruce Allen. Yeah, no, they, they, they painted themselves into the right, worst-case scenario happened to them. The right. one thing that couldn't happen happened. You got nine and a half games out of a quarterback who you guaranteed $71 million to. And part of me says, this one we didn't deserve. The other part of me says, oh, no, this is the gods punishing us for an otherwise bad idea. I don't well, know it which goes way to... back to, to, to what you could have done. You, you could have had Kirk Cousins, for what he asked for, $19 million a year, which would have put him right in the middle of the pack. And as far as I know, Kirk Cousins in his entire career, which started in 2012, has never missed a snap because of injury. Yeah. Did I you get, could have had him. Did I get you on record last week, or did Bruce speak after you about the were close comments? Oh, no. that was. Uh, I think we talked before that. I think Didn't he talk like Tuesday or Wednesday of last so, week? So what'd you what'd you make of we're close? Well, you know, if if you go nine and seven and you win a playoff game, maybe if you're Dallas, you can say that. But if you're seven and nine, you're nowhere. You're not you're not anywhere close. Kansas City's close. Kansas City almost made the Super Bowl. New Orleans is close. They almost right. made the Super Bowl. The Redskins are in the desert, and and to say we just need to get over the hump. What is the hump? The hump is to make it as a wild card, to make it as an 8-8 eight and eight division winner or 9-7 and seven and go out in the first round. That stinks. Nobody wants that. Yeah. You consider that successful? It's a tragedy. Okay, real quick, Pro Bowl, uh, what are we going to do with it at this point? Uh, this was the most farcical of all the Pro Bowls yet. I'm ready to kill it, and I'm a guy that doesn't like killing exhibitions. I didn't like it when Major League Baseball got rid of the game at Cooperstown where they dragged two right. MLB teams to actually come play an exhibition game. 
I don't mm-hmm. like killing other all-star games. I want to preserve as much as I can. This is a disfigured beast that I can't warrant keeping alive any longer. I can't either, but I, I don't think the players want to kill it because they make money. Did you see the story of, of how much the winning team gets? No. The winning Each winning player, I think, gets $67,000. Each losing player gets $39,000. Is that a lot? And while them? that might not – well, I mean – I mean, I go back to when the Redskins won the Super Bowl. I know it's ancient history, but in the NFL Films production of their championship, Joe Theismann in the huddle says it's worth $70,000 in a big effing ring. And the $70,000 meant something. And I, I can't believe that that money doesn't mean something to them. Also, the money that goes into the Players Association coffers off the split of the TV revenue and everything else that's involved in that. I, I just think it's, it is it is what it is. It's going to be played the, the week before the Super Bowl. It's in Orlando. If you want to show up, fine. If you don't, people apparently watch it. The TV ratings are not bad. So why would you get rid of it? I think the only thing would get rid of it is a big, bad, major injury. From a star right. player goofing around playing defensive end, like Alvin right. Kamara or Zeke Elliott or Mike Evans playing corner. You blow your knee out just planting. And then it's like, well, well hold on just a second. This might not be so smart. Well, the, 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 um, the, the one of the suggestions is they do a seven-on-seven, seven, you know, kind of a, 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 a pickup kind of thing. like Without, the, without helmets? Those, yeah, just seven-on-seven seven, uh, teams where they have passing drills and so forth. Problem is, a guy diving for a pass might tear an ACL. Sure. Several years ago, remember they used to have this rookie thing in the sand yeah. in Hawaii? Yeah. And, Robert, uh, Robert Edwards, running back, running back yeah. for the Patriots, blew out his knee like every ligament, did come back after almost a year off, if not more, and was sort of effective, but it totally changed the trajectory of his career for a exactly. beach a beach, volley, a beach football game. So, yeah. Yeah. As so you guys like, want to avoid that. Just like our dads always said, Andy, it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye or blows out exactly. an ACL or breaks a leg or <laughs> pick your ailment here. All yeah, right. Yeah. I'll make sure to say hi to Chris Visser for you because I know you're a big fan of his <laughs> pimping guests. <laughs> well, he, he, he can probably get you a fourth-string cornerback if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> and if I run into Len Pascarelli, I'll make sure to tell him you said hello. <laughs> Well, you're the one that had problems with Len Pascarelli, not oh, me. Oh, God. Uh, I don't have problems with anybody, man. Live and let live. Andy, uh, <laughs> yeah. good to talk to you. I'll bring you back a souvenir. Sounds good. Thanks, Abe. We'll end on this today. Are you a, a prepper? Are you bracing for the end of days? Well, if you are, why don't you do it in style by purchasing a doomsday prepper mansion in the middle of the Nevada desert? The four-story, 22-room, 8,000-square-foot castle can be yours for under a million, $900,000. It is uh, located 6,000 feet atop Gold Mountain, 35 miles south of Goldfield, Nevada. The closest sign of civilization is Gold Point, which is not much more than a ghost town, turned into an Old West vacation spot 10 miles away. Beatty, Nevada, a town with a population of 1,000, is 50 miles away. Las Vegas is 187, and Reno, 325. The property is an enormous privately built fortress, 16-inch concrete walls, self-sustaining energy systems using solar 
and wind, 4,000-gallon water storage rain catchment system. It's in the middle of the desert, like I said, and the owner has now added two enormous vintage pipe organs which resonate through the halls when played, adding to the oddity of the structure. Didn't see any uh, machine gun turrets up there. I'm guessing if you are a true doomsday prepper that wants to, wants to survive the apocalypse, you're going to need some, some machine gun turrets on top of there to defend people. Because eventually, even in the middle of nowhere, someone's going to go, hey, there's that weirdo out in that castle near Goldstein or Goldman or Goldtown, Nevada. Let's go get him. And you're going to have to shoot some people. But hey, you could survive the apocalypse and still play your organ. That will do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Download, subscribe, comment, and like. Tell a couple friends. Uh, We are on Radio Row Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on Team 980. I'll have some stuff from there for the podcast beginning tomorrow. And, of course, our premium Super Bowl Five Ways podcast with me and Mr. X and our picks and our props comes Friday. Subscribe today at zabe.com slash premium. Now get out there, be nice to a lonely duck if you can, and we will see you next time. Can you-